0: Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. Uh, My name is Michael and I am your host. Today's episode, we are going to be talking all about public lands. These are lands that belong to you and I and all Americans. These lands are extremely valuable. Uh, We're going to be talking about the value that they provide to us. We're going to be talking about deep and rich history surrounding how they came to be we're gonna be talking about those threats. That I mean, there are folks out there that want to take these away from us. It's a battle, battle that we're having all the time. But they're ours. They belong to all of us as Americans, and and we have every right to hold on to them. And you know, we're gonna talk about ways to advocate, way to fight, ways to fight for them. So we are doing all this with uh, a man that that I I hold in very high regard and just as an absolute inspiration to me, and that's Hal Herring. Hal Herring, he is an outdoor journalist, and he's he's been doing this for a very long time. He writes for Field and Stream. Hell, he's he's written for all outdoor publications. He does a podcast for our our backcountry hunters and anglers. Yeah, if you listen to this, if you don't already know of Hal, um, you know he's a figure that's going to stay with you. I promise you that. A very interesting man, and I'll say it once again, an absolute inspiration. So stick around, listen to that. If you don't already uh, have a very deep regard and value for our public lands, I hope this podcast will will set you straight because it really is a special special deal we got in this country, you know, not everybody's got it. So before we move on to that, let's let's do our announcements from our great conservation organizations here in Arizona. Okay. So let's start with the Arizona Elk Society. Uh, they are having their White Mountain Sholo Banquet. This is the seventh annual banquet. And this is the primary chapter fundraiser for Arizona Elk Society, Elk Habitat projects, uh, riparian restoration, youth camps, and mentored hunts, uh, hunts for Arizona's disabled veterans through our, their hunt for uh, Heroes Rising outdoors program. They're gonna have food, drink, live auctions, bucket raffles, games, lots of prizes. It's a fun-filled night to raise money for conservation in Arizona. I will get a link up in the show notes for more information about that, but this is gonna be again June 25th, 2022, Show Low Elks Club, 5 p.m. doors open, 6.30 dinner, and the auction follows. All right, then we have the Arizona Council of Trout Unlimited, they're running a photo contest. As part of Trout Unlimited's Arizona, the beautiful campaign, they're hosting a photo contest with a purpose. The rules are simple. To enter, you must live in Arizona, Post a photo of your favorite Arizona public plans. This is going to be Instagram or Facebook. Use the hashtag, Arizona, hashtag Arizona the contest. The winner will receive a Yeti Tundra 75 quart cooler, two Ramblers and two ice packs. The runner up will receive a Camp Chef, two burner stove and two Eureka camp chairs. And three honorable mentions will receive a pair of Thomas Rhett Signature Choco footwear sandals. These are sandals with a rainbow trout and or brook trout uh, printed uh, straps. They're pretty cool. Uh, the photo contest runs from June 1st through July 15th, 2022. Entries must be posted within this time frame. We ask that you tag AZ elected officials at center at forgiving at Senator Cinema and at Senator Mark Kelly asking them to please protect and conserve Arizona's public lands. I will, I will be, I will be throwing some photos up in that one myself. Okay. After that, let's see. We've got the Arizona's bow hunters association is having a 2022 bow hunter happening. Uh, this is a family fun 3D archery shoot, July 15th, 16th, and 17th at Mormon Lake, Arizona. That's up by Flagstaff. Um, new look mountain courses, easy to extreme. Specialty fun, aerial, moving, long shot, smoker. That sounds fun. Tons of raffles and outdoor vendors and food on site. Uh, Paul Line comm- commemorative Big Bear Kids course. Um, There are a number of prices to get in. Let's see. uh, One adult, one day of shooting is only $30. That's really good. One adult, three days of shooting, $65. And family, unlimited three days, $90. Kids under 18, 15 bucks. So this pricing is only good until July 10th online. After that, they shoot up a little bit. So you wanna get in there early, get registered at archerybowhunters.com store and get in on those uh, those lower prices. Friday night party with live music, um, more info to come when finalized on that. Saturday night, Beast Feast, sponsored by the Arizona Mule Deer Organization. Speaking of the Arizona Mule Deer Organization, I got to tell you, they're, they're one of the hardest group working groups out there. I feel like every podcast we have announcements uh, of projects they're working on. Speaking of which, let's see. July 16th, they're meeting at 8 a.m. at the Drake Water Catchment. Uh, let's see. This is the catchment we repaired the northeast side of two years ago. Yeah, Forgive me if I'm not reading that very well. Now the northwest side has been damaged by high winds. We will repair it again and then secure the structure to the ground to prevent it from getting damaged again. So they could use some help with that. I will get a link up to get more information on that. But uh, in the meantime, it says uh, they're going to be meeting after you cross the railroad tracks on the Verde Ranch Road north of Paldon on Highway 89. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely get you more information on that because I feel like I was a little vague there. Uh, but get out there and help these guys. They do a lot of good work for wildlife and water for wildlife. All right, moving on. More with the Arizona Mule Deer Organization. Let's see, July 9th. They're having their region. Oh, well, okay, I'm sorry. July 9th, Region 1 at the All Season Barn in Heber Overgard, That's uh, 2355 Bison Road, Heber, Arizona 85928. They are having their Region 1 Arizona Mule Deer Organization Banquet. Uh, says this will be a night you won't want to miss. We'll have exciting live auctions with hunts, uh, vacation trips, and special one-of-a-kind items. Silent auction, buckets, uh, games, giveaways, uh, games will include Wheel of Fortune, a Punko? Punko? Uh, Ladies Table, and more. Alright, so let's see, there are a variety of tabling prices to get in and support these guys. And I will definitely get a link up to where you can get more information and get registered for this event. Again, like I mentioned before, these fellows work hard. These, I should say, these guys and gals work hard. So get out there, go to this banquet, have a good time and support the work they do. So with that, thank you very much. And man, uh, I can't wait for you to hear this, this conversation with Hal Herring, because, because it was a good one. I will admit it runs a little long. I just, he's one of those guys I get to talking to and it's, it's hard, it's hard to plug it up. So definitely enjoy this there's there's a lot of of value to this there's a lot to learn here and, and yeah i hope you like it see you after the show all right I'll, I'll put it this way: uh, I am here with somebody I greatly admire, um, and that's Hal Herring. Hal, Hal is an outdoor journalist. Um, you know what? What else would I call you? A Contributor to Field and Stream. Um, you know, Hal's written all over the place for a lot of years um, and done some very deep journalism as well. So, so Hal, you want to build on that a little bit and tell folks about what you do?
1: Yeah, I um. I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but, uh, I've been doing, so I came out West in 88, 89 and, uh, from Alabama. Mm-hmm. And, um, I worked in, and as a, just a laborer, did forestry contracting and stuff. But, uh, for the last, I would say almost 28 years, probably 30. Um, I've been writing about, um, it, it, most of it was conservation and environment. um, and I've been at Field and Stream since '99, I think. um And that was, uh, and, and and I was at High Country News in '98. Mm-hmm. I, I continued to report, covers the big stories for them, and proud of that. I love them.
0: Yeah, that's um, a great, great organization.
1: It, it was great, and then, uh, and then Field and Stream kind of took me on. I was in the game farming conflicts here in Montana in '99, reporting on that, and I got, that's how I met Field and Stream, and. They just I was their conservation guy. Bob Marshall was ahead of me and, and was incredible Louisiana based conservation writer. And then I picked up more and more of it over the years. Um, and uh it's great at Field and Stream because the audience, especially after we got the internet, you know, the audience I don't know why people are anti environmental or anti-conservation, but you, you have to you have to really report clearly and and truthfully 100 percent without cherry picking to to reach the hunter and fisherman audience conservation audience in america and i i I have really enjoyed that um task you know what i mean they don't people aren't gonna if you tell them the the energy development is is killing off pronghorn migration in wyoming buddy you better be able to match that up right because there's going to be a lot of people reading that that are either watching Fox news or they work in the energy industry and they honestly feel like they're doing the best they can. Yeah. And that's cool. I I, like, yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I don't always like being attacked relentlessly. Right. Um, yeah. But I've come to, I've come to enjoy that as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm certainly a, a fan of the work you do and, uh, I very much respect the way you do it. Um, so you've you've covered uh, our public lands for a lot of years now, and let me, let me start here. So you and I we we share a similar um, childhood. We grew up in in similar habitats back east, you know, where we yeah. deciduous forests, clear creeks you know, and, and we, we ran around chasing critters and enjoying all that, but I'll tell you
1: what snakes is one of the things that I, when I started following your stuff and I met you, I was like, um, that, that was an initial fascination of mine and you took it. I mean, you have run with that in a way I just, I think is awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah, It's, it's fun, man. Um, it's just like hunting. I mean, I I get now. I haven't actively been out chasing reptiles and amphibians in quite a while because, quite honestly, I, in my growing up life with two little kids, I don't have time to do everything I want to do. So, uh, hey, everything there,
1: there's a time for everything in a season,
0: right? And right,
1: little, little kids is their own season and time, man. Yeah, I did that.
0: Well, I you know, now I primarily just hunt and fish because. Now, when I go out on on some adventure or excursion, you know, there's a chance I can bring home this tangible good to my family. Um, And that, that goes over a lot well with the wife, that it used to be me going out on these trips, spending all this money and coming back home with a collection of photographs. And that was it. Yep. But yep. so so that's what I do now. But but I'll tell you, it is the same excitement I get from releasing an arrow on a deer is that same excitement I get from turning a rock and and seeing my target coiled up under it. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think it comes from some deep rooted evolutionary place, you know, that, that drives us to to get out there and, and pursue pursue food and, and enjoy yep. that.
1: Yeah, I just you're we're in the same. I mean, we had the same trajectory. Like when my kids were little, um, and that could continued until they just left home, and um, that was it was it was meat mm-hmm. and morels and fish, and it was for the larder, you know. And that that changed my whole way of hunting, which I've been hunting since I was nine years old. I mean, and uh, but that changed my whole way of hunting. It was very goal oriented very freezer oriented, very feed to family oriented. Yep. Um, so I get that completely. I, yeah, I was, uh, but, and like I said, for the the time and season of life is a real thing.
0: Yeah, and, it is.
1: And to try to like, to try to do anything else to, it's, it's sort of as your soul is in rebellion mm-hmm. and it doesn't end well. Um, <laughs> it, it it's best to embrace the time you're in, you know, and, you'll go back to snake hunting Man. and lizard hunting yeah. or you'll move on to something else. Having done that to it, to it's time of fruition or whatever. Yeah.
2: You know, I, I've lived my soft whole soft life.
0: Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've lived my whole life like that. My, my wife describes me like a dog um, in a, in a, in a positive way. That uh, The fact that I very much live in the moment, I don't think about yep. what's behind me and, um you know i do get excited about what's ahead of me but i'm not a big planner you know i, I really i i enjoy the moment and that comes yeah. at a, a cost too that some some might call irresponsible but but i'll tell you what i'm i'm usually in a good mood so
1: yeah we have plans plans give me anxiety
2: right <laughs> well
1: i was saying i was listening to this guy um, talking about dog is, you ever read much of or of, of diogenes the I have not a philosopher he was obsessed with inhabiting and living in dog mind,
2: <laughs>
1: and Diogenes uh, was uh, he was very famous. but he was one of the greatest like most famous philosophers but he he lived as a ragamuffin, you know, yeah, um but his meditations on dog mind are super
0: interesting, yeah, it sounds like it <laughs> yeah sorry,
2: <laughs> no, no,
0: that's good uh, all right, well, so. I guess the direction I was going is as rich as our childhoods were back in that country. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I jumped any fence I came across, you know, yeah. I, I, I went where I wanted. I was a kid, times were different, you know, and yeah, I probably knew I was trespassing, but, but I was a kid. I didn't care. You know, I was out there exploring and adventuring and having a great time. Never really ran into any trouble either but times have changed. Um, you know, my, my childhood home back in the Ozarks of Missouri, um, it's not like it was, you don't get to go knock on a farmer's door and and you're immediately granted permission to hunt. It's all locked up in leases now, which I, I find very unsettling. Um, I don't blame the farmers. Sure. I get it, but, but it just, it's disappointing. Um, I have a big garbage truck going by me here. Um, but uh so out, out here, coming out here was just mind-blowing. All of this country, all of these mountains, all of this desert, all these different habitats that that are mine to go explore, sleep right. on the ground wherever I want. As long as I'm not out there tearing things up, you know, they're 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 my lands, they're your lands, they're everybody's lands. So I guess where we should start, or what I'd like to hear from you, is you know, where did this come from? How, how did all this come about? And can, can you, can you help me with that?
1: I can, and um, I I preface that with like how, so I'm working on this book that I'm two years into right now on public lands and history, future, present, whatever. Um, And the reason I'm doing that is because the longer I, okay, so when I was in college in Alabama, we had a sort of map of all the possible public lands around, you know, and like, like you said, when we were little kids, we roamed at will. And I've written about this before is like, most of my time was spent in the places where other people sought nothing at all, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the, the thickets along the ditch or, uh, you know, and so like, like these, these interspaces where, where yeah. other people or abandoned places. Um, and that, that's relevant to this discussion. Um, so how did we get this? The reason I've been fixated on this, and one, in 08, I wrote a book on historical firearms like guns and the, and the West. Um, and the immersion in that history, I think also, you know, everything in your life, it, things don't happen for a reason, I don't believe that, but everything in your life feeds a sort of understanding, right? I mean, even if you just fall down the steps one morning. Um, And so uh, this gun book was the history is so wild, you know, from Geronimo to uh, uh, Tillman fighting people in the streets of Cromwell, Oklahoma, you know, uh, um, Wild Bill Hickok, all that. So what that impressed upon me was that this is one of the wildest countries in the world ever and one of the most unlikely things that we ever came up with was the idea of a vast public lands commons in one of the most ferociously capitalistic societies that the world has ever seen. And I stayed with this. This idea became more and more resonant, some would say obsessive (laughs) to me because of its unlikeliness and because of something that I I, I came to understand that the United States is born of fantastic levels of contradiction. And it's my belief that these contradictions are like the two magnets in a turbine that turn and they create this dynamic electricity between them that everybody wants a part of.
0: That's, that's an interesting perspective.
1: It's a strange perspective. And I, but I, it's proven to be true. I, Mm -hmm. I think of the declaration of independence, declaring all men equal, while slavery was a huge institution like right there. Yeah, yeah. And, and and lest anybody say well like we said of DDT back before Rachel Carson, well people just didn't know, Michael. The hell they didn't. <laughs> in 1779 Vermont outlawed slavery saying it was contra- contradictory, you know, like against everything they believed yeah. in. Yeah. So we lit we light these fuses. And um, we have these, we hold these contradictory ideas in, in, at the same time. And they take generations and decades to work themselves out. And the public lands experiment is very much in flux at every moment, especially right now with the, the West being the fastest growing part of the United yeah. States. yeah, And water being the main issue. Um, uh, so how did we get here? I don't want to, I don't want to ramble anymore. I want I want to say so how we got here was we took the United States of America from the east coast and the pandemics that swept the native americans and the various wars we acquired this land we bought the land from France because Napoleon realized that they couldn't control it militarily because of, partially because of the Haitian Revolution, taught him a lesson about trying to control empires far from home in Yellow Fever country. So we did the Louisiana Purchase, and that carried us clear over to almost to Missouri, which was still owned by Spain. And when Daniel Boone got rooked out of all of his holdings in 1783, or 89 in the Midwest. He went to Missouri and claimed a homestead there and the Spanish still owned it and they let him stay.
2: Wow. Isn't
1: that amazing? And he yeah. was rooked. He had claimed tens of thousands of acres in what is now Ohio um, and western Kentucky, eastern Kentucky. And once we settled the, the, the revolution, we went to immediately had no money because we didn't have any taxation. So we wanted to sell the lands. They belonged mostly to the Shawnee and that, that enormous confederation of tribes that Tecumseh was a part of. And so we went to war with the Shawnee, took that, that was real war. Um, and then begin to sell that off, right. Home, homestead it and sell it off. Um, So how did we get the public lands? Well, there are almost no public lands east of the Mississippi because all of those things are valuable arable lands. Mm -hmm. Um, When after Horseshoe Bend and Andrew Jackson defeated the Creek Nations, we got, I think it was 22.3 million acres from the Creek Nations after that battle in 1814. Um, and that land was sold off. Like, like it was given to people from the revolutionary war that had fought. It was sold off like mad. Um, same thing with the Cherokee lands. They were so valid, valuable after the trail of tears that people claimed them, bought them, sold them. Right. Mm -hmm. But out West, there were millions of acres that you honestly couldn't do anything with. And that was high mountains, deserts, um, Back before they found the Oglala Aquifer, the Great Plains—you know—we we we plowed the Great Plains. It stopped raining in 1917, and the Great Plains was emptying out. Yeah, it was a failed experiment. So part of the lands that what you see is Bureau of Land Management lands now. Those were honestly the last to go unclaimed. Nobody wanted them.
0: Interesting that that was going to be one of my questions is BLM versus uh, National Forest and how those two entities differed and came to be.
1: Okay, they differ completely. So BLM didn't come; it stayed under the General Land Office of eighteen twelve. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, like literally hundred years later, right? Yeah. Um, and and uh, the Forest Service lands. This is the most unlikely thing that you'll ever learn, and I, I hope I'm not going to go too deep for your listeners, but In 1891, Congress and particular President Harrison, they created an act. It was called the Forest Reserve Act. That's part of it. And it was in response to this this thing called the Timber Culture Act of like 1873, which was so ridiculous. We have done so many stupid things Mm -hmm. in addition to many brilliant things. The Timber Culture Act was if you planted trees out on the prairie and you were a homesteader under the 1862 homestead act which gave away millions i have the figures here millions upon millions of acres to private ownership and it, and you had to file a fee and improve the property but you owned it and it was one of, nobody's ever done anything like this before right like feudalism in europe like nobody's ever come up with anything like the homestead act and was it was it on the backs of the warfare against Native Americans? It was indeed, okay, no doubt. Do we don't want to do we don't want to whitewash nothing, right? And 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 also, every one of those homesteaders was the beneficiary of enormous amount of taxpayer largesse because they funded the cavalry to go to war after civil war, civil war to take these lands and hold them right mm-hmm. from the Native Americans. So. Anyway, the Homestead Act gave away just about everything and then some that could be used by people. However, a lot of it was on the prairie, and it didn't really work. 160 acres was what people were getting. That's a quarter section. Section being one square mile. Okay. Was 640 acres. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the prairie, you couldn't really do anything with 160 acres. You couldn't make it. So the Timber Culture Act said that you could plant some trees on it and claim another 160. And the trees didn't grow. It's a (laughs) prairie. So this became such a hotbed of corruption and, and, like, absurdity that Congress, by 1891, was ready to try to fix it. And in this giant omnibus bill, there was this thing called Section 24, And it allowed the President of the United States, where necessary, to set aside timberlands. This is timbered land, not prairie. That was critical to watershed health in the arid west. And the reason they were doing that was because the sheep grazing and the free-range cattle grazing and the free-range logging had wiped out. They started in California. They, they they were having terrible water problems mm-hmm. because of the deforestation of the mountains. And they all knew that this was the real thing. Like John Wesley Powell, all of these people. They, we had incredible hydrologists, geomorphologists working in the United States in the 1860s and 70s, 80s. Um, so in 1891, Harrison, President Harrison, he used Section 24 to set aside that what became the Shoshone National Forest in Wyoming, okay, because it was particularly abused and it was surrounding Yellowstone National Park, which was established in 1872.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And people were beating the hell out of that country. They were killing the last of the buffalo. They were they were cutting down the last. They were, there was a railroad. The railroads required thousands upon thousands of railroad ties. So tie hacking to build the railroads to open up the West was a huge source of deforestation. Yeah, that, that's what
0: happened to our primary forest in the Ozarks.
1: Yeah, was tie hacking? hmm Yep. So that happened here where I live as well. And the difference in the, the Ozarks to here is that those trees might not grow back for 250 years. Right. And in the meantime, the river dries up because it, it erodes so fast where there's no more trees and then collapses into itself and shallows out and widens and then dries up. Mm-hmm. And so downstream, like where I live, we get about 10 inches of rain a year. So without this river that comes out of the Bob Marshall Wilderness, there's no barley, no wheat out there. Right. And, so, and people figured that out really early. So that Shoshone National Forest was the first. It was called the Yellowstone Timber Reserve, mm-hmm. 1891, and it took them 10 years. About 80 86, they were they were starting. What is a forest reserve, and why why do we have these? People in the West hated it. And there was no funds allocated for it. Um, in 1897, they were they were asking for the whole Timber Reserve Act to be repealed. Not a single, uh, Senator Call, I think he was from Missouri, not a single dollar will be sent at, from me for scenery. Huh. He said, nothing shall get in the way of, of human use of this land.
0: Yeah, we got a lot of that today, Stu. Oh
1: boy, it's the same. Yeah. And, uh, but... A, an incredible panel of called the Forest Commission um, was put together in eighteen eighty six, and they were they had John Muir, Gifford Pinchot, who became the first um, mm-hmm. Forest head of the Forest Service. Oh, and they they gave recommendations so powerful about the benefits of, of having this land in federal ownership because the feds could could act in a way the states were not doing it. The states were not taking responsibility for the watersheds and the and the forest fires and the grazing. All right. They just weren't. Mm-hmm. And so they all said it should be in federal hands and it should be focused on watershed projection and on on keeping a source of sustainable timber for the future. Okay. And part of this reflected a jeffersonian idea that th- these millions of homesteaders who were going to live down on the low ground were not going to have access to the forests at all if they were bought up by these lumber conglomerates who had already destroyed the forests of minnesota and wisconsin and the white mountains in the east right so this was a very weird jeffersonian use of the federal government isn't that isn't that interesting
0: absolutely it Ooh. is Yeah.
1: I mean, I find this to be, I mean, there's so many contradictory things going in here and this was happening at a time when, when extraction was not really questioned, right? 1876, the last bison was shot like North of Miles city. Yeah. Um, I mean, what we were seeing was that the age of limits, we were seeing the age of limits. Wow. Um, And then of course you get, I, I write about this in my book that Section 24 of the Forest Reserve Act was um, is a crate full of dynamite, mm-hmm. and President Harrison used it very judiciously. He was he was interested. He was convinced that it was good. I think he put in 13 million acres or something, and some of these were like the original forests, like outside of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and then the, the Shoshone, of course, which was the Allstone Timber Reserve, and then Grover Cleveland. Who succeeded Brid- Harrison in the presidency? Uh-huh. He he really took the words of the commission to heart, and um, you you got to look into this some because the commission was was a all star team. <laughs> it was this guy named Charles uh, Sprague Sargent. He was like the leading. He had written a fourteen volume set on the trees of North America.
2: Oh wow!
1: <laughs> he was head of the Harvard Harvard uh, Arnold Arboretum. Yeah. Um, Ale- uh, um, Arnold Haig was on it. He was a volcanologist who worked in Yellowstone. He's probably spent more time in Yellowstone than any single person alive. Mm-hmm. Gifford Pinchot, the yeah. original Forester. Um, so this was an all-star team. John Muir was on that team. And they didn't invite him to be on the commission, but they invited him to travel with him for a four-month tour of the forest. Interesting. And so Grover Cleveland then set aside. I think I'm, I'm going to make this up, but something like 26 million acres, and that included like my iconic country, the Bitterroots in Montana, Flathead National Forest in Montana. Like, like um, they were really they were really expounding on this idea of the forest reserves, right? Um, and then we all know that Teddy Roosevelt was like the king of this. Right. And, and Roosevelt was involved in this from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Like, like as soon as he was still governor of New York, he was like working on this idea. Right. Um, and so he, he set aside more than anybody ever has when he became the president.
0: I'll be damned. You know, I, uh, most of my, my reading years, uh, we're, we're spent uh, reading mostly the natural sciences. Um, uh, David Quammen, one, one of your guests yep. on your podcast, um, Desmond Morris, um, just all that. And I, I kind of skipped over the, the history of conservation, the history of public lands in in our country. Now, granted, you know, I've read some of the, the big ones, Leopold, things like that, but I find myself scrambling to catch up now. Um, and, uh, you mentioned your book, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to, uh, you, you want to take just a second and tell us, tell us about that and maybe what we can expect. And, and for me, when we can expect it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm a year out. Um, okay. and, um, I, uh, because of COVID, I stopped the travel part of the book and, and concentrated on the history mm-hmm. and, in a way that was a, um, I wished I hadn't because, uh, I wrote myself into a place and like, I reached like the 1950s and I was like, wow, you've got like 70 years to go here, pal. <laughs> um, so, uh, but it was a, it was a full immersion into this stuff that I would have never gotten. And I, I, I want the book to be a success. I've, I've struggled with it for a couple of years, um, because of the sort of the immensity of the task. Right. Um, but now I'm on this, this part called the journeys, which is like a profile of 12 different trips into national forests uh-huh. or, or BLM grasslands. Yeah. Um, which have an incredible history of their own. And, um, I've, I've got the template done. I've got the first of those chapters done. And of course it's the Shoshone national forest, because that's the first national forest in mm-hmm. America. That's the template for all the rest. Um, and, um, I've got a bunch of them. I've done the re I was in Alabama and Florida and, um, going back to North Carolina here, when I get some of this other stuff done, the Utah chapter is extremely difficult. And uh, I, I've been, I've have about a eight months in Utah on and off. Um, not just in research for that, but just like it. it Utah is, a, it's such an amazing story. Yeah. You know, with the Latter-day Saints and the, and the conflict between the federal government. Right. Um, and, and some of the most iconic Bureau of Land Management and and National Forest lands, the the Uintas, for instance, um, that was in the second wave. That was Grover Cleveland put that into into federal ownership because of the watershed. You, because without the Uintas, it's a desert, and it, <laughs> you know you ain't getting any right,
0: water. Right. Yeah.
1: And the overgrazing there was the overgrazing there was at an extreme, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because um, the. Mormon Church is often seen as the most and the, the Mormons of Utah are kind of the birth of the anti public lands movement you know right in the West but they were some of the first to recognize the uh that if you put too many sheep and did too much burning up high that you didn't get any water down low
0: right um interesting they were good They were
1: they were ecologically they knew they 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 have not capitalism and ecology fight each other sometimes sure um but Um, those those settlers in the Great Salt Lake area and stuff—they really understood how things worked.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm very much looking forward to your book. Um, I've been anticipating it for a while now, so it's good good to know that maybe maybe a year down the road I might have one in my hands. Uh, I just picked up a copy of John uh, "Our Common Ground." Haven't haven't jumped into it it yet, yet. but it's a, it's, it's a, it's big, it's, it's gonna, yep. it's gonna, well, I've
1: been following him for years. I mean, he's a primary reference mm-hmm. for any of the legal stuff on here. Yeah. Um, so I, I really look forward to that book too.
0: Well, let's, let's fast forward, um, to today. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's pretty clear that you and I, uh, value, these lands because we like to run around on them as you say wear out a pair of boots chasing critters enjoying them um but that that's not that's not the only picture um you know what, what other what other values as a nation do these lands hold hold for us uh today
1: well i one of my problems with Well, I I won't say that. Uh, These lands hold, I'll I'll try to answer that as succinctly as possible. These lands are the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. They're the things that we have in common. And we have embraced a, um, well, anybody could talk about the ridiculous polarization we have as a nation now, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I find that to be, I, I, I don't really understand it. But these lands are the vast American commons. And these are the things to me that can unite us, and and um, right now they divide us uh, in many ways. But but that's because people aren't looking at the at the bigger picture mm-hmm. of how much we love these places and how much we love this freedom. Um, the if you go back like the BLM lands, um, those lands had almost no value when they were the, a lot of the lands in in eastern Montana were actually homesteaded and then abandoned during the dust bowl years. Right. And those lands were taken over. There's a brilliant little deal. Those lands were taken under, over by the federal government under the Bankhead Jones Act. And it was, they were then restored as much as possible using federal money, which the state would never have had. And then leased back to grazers and other users. And that money went to support education. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it's super smart. Right. Um, we've done so many stupid things and we've done so many brilliant things. Um, and so those lands now, that's the Missouri Breaks. That's the best elk archery elk hunting uh-huh. in the world. Wow and, and this this was unclaimed because it's gumbo soil, it's super cold in the winter, it's super hot in the summer, there's no surface water except for alkali. Right. And so people didn't want it. And now you have people like um, the Wilkes brothers of Texas coming in and buying 330,000 acres of that same land. Yeah. Um, and so the, what does it mean to us now? It, I think it means that how we, how we hold on to this legacy is going to be pretty damn indicative of the future that your kids are going to live in and my grandkids. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean I, I am I, I am cannot I, I have not wasted a minute of my life in the years I've spent writing about this. Because it is as integral to the American experiment in a democratic republic as anything I've ever found.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. So yeah. you know We're 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 both fans, members, um, Engaged with Arizona backcountry hunters and anglers. In fact, you work for them. Um I host a podcast for them, right? That's right. Now I want to talk more about that later too, because I'm yeah. I'm a big fan of that podcast. But so I, I want to talk about threats um and how to advocate. Uh, you know, for instance, with the Arizona Wildlife Federation, we are fighting back against bad public land bills every legislative session. Um, they're always there. Yep. And you know the 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 move what what's frustrating to me is well first off let's say uh outdoor recreation and the economic benefits to that in today's day and age are are nothing to be to be scoffed at i mean they're significant right. and serious and outweigh a lot of traditional uses um but there there is this this movement this push to to you know, take these public lands, these lands that belong to you and me and everyone and, and give them back to the States. Um, okay.
1: Let me correct you that the okay, States please. never have.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. The Thank you. Never Thank you.
1: The state that when we fought the Mexican war, mm-hmm. the States didn't have, they, they were owned by Spain. What became the States were owned by Spain. Right. When the federal government paid I can't remember fifteen million in gold, and a war that cost I think thirteen thousand dead to take Mexico City, right? Mm -hmm. And and there's some ugly history as to why the Texas Republic was was fighting on its own for a long time, and that's because it wanted to be a slave state. Okay, and the federal government didn't want to have another slave state represented in Congress, right? You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, our history there is nothing. Nothing gained by whitewashing our history. Right. It's just the history is what it is and and we live in the in the nation created by history, so you don't want to deny any of the good or the bad,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: but we 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 the federal government paid for the army to take these lands from Mexico after Mexico had taken them from Spain, and that's a treaty of of uh, guadalupe hidalgo 1848 right yeah yeah utah didn't have nothing to do with that
0: no you're thinking
1: didn't have nothing to do with that yeah there was a mormon battalion in that in that war you know right but the federal government paid for that the american people bought that land with blood and treasure Mm -hmm. and during the enabling acts of the states they gave up all rights to unclaimed federal lands within their boundaries. They never had these lands. Yeah. And if you think, I'm, I'm going to become animated for a second. If you think that I am going to give Ken Ivory of the American Lands Council in Utah, mm-hmm. something that I, my people were actually in the United States of America in, in long before the Mexican War. And so they paid for this. And I am not letting Ken Ivory. I don't know what his history is, but he can't have it.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: And the people of Nevada, who mostly don't, they own understand that seventy three percent of the place is desert, and all of the homes, all the land that has water on it, has long been homesteaded and in private hands. Right. Right. But they can't have it.
0: Yeah.
2: Well,
1: they never owned it, and nobody is gonna up sticks and give them like a. I know a, a, a free case of beer and, you know, a, a million acres that my ancestors died to get. Yeah. Native Americans fought for and, and, and have now been confined to reservations. Um, like they, this history, they can't have it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thanks for that correction. I need to be more careful with my words because I know that I've said that before, probably on several occasions. And, and Everybody's
1: saying it. Don't feel like a lone ranger. Yeah.
0: Um, but thanks for pointing that out. So so let's change that and say there is a movement to give these lands to the states. Um, right. And there's there's question marks throughout this that I just don't understand at all. One, you know, a lot of the times the, the shouting argument is the feds are not doing a good job managing these these forests, these lands. Um, so, In some cases,
1: that's
2: true.
0: Yeah, sure. It's a big job. You know, a yep. ridiculously big job. Yep. But why on earth would we think the states are are in a financial position to be able to do a better job here? And and before before you answer that or comment on that, one particular question I don't understand, and maybe you can help me understand this, is I've noticed the Cattle Growers Association signs on to a lot of this this bad public lands jargon, these bad public lands bills. I don't get that because from my perspective, it appears to me that cattle growers have a very good deal with with our federal public lands. So why do they think that they could improve upon what they have if these lands were transferred to the states?
1: Um, They're acting out of a sense of entitlement um, here, I mean the the grazing fee on VLM lands, is, I think it's $1.35 35 an AUM, which is an animal unit month, cow calf pair, what they yep. eat for a month. That'd be the lowest. The Maasai in Africa pay more than that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean this is the lowest grazing fee in the world, right. Um, so these you, you know, Michael, we're at a time where people don't really weigh the consequences of what their opinions are
0: unfortunately you're right yeah and
1: we have been coddled like like that those cattlemen they don't really imagine that it's ever going to change but they can be furious about regulations okay so in 1976 we passed (laughs) the federal land management and policy act flip policy and management act and that gave the bureau of land management forest service had already passed one Mm -hmm. Um, and that gave the Bureau of Land Management what was called a true mandate for multiple use. So it wasn't just what they used to make fun of the Bureau of Land Management as being the Bureau of Livestock and Mining.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, and and in a sense, that's kind of how it was prior to 1976. You know, um, cattle grazing was prioritized, um, uh, extractive industry was prioritized on these Mm -hmm. lands. And so, but after seven, 1976 and the passage of Flipma, all of a sudden the BLM had to have biologists and they had to have what the guys in Utah go, they got lizard counters out there making
2: 100000
1: a year. Um, so, and that, they don't actually make 100000 a year, but that's what the
2: people yeah. say, you know? uh-huh. so,
1: so there were all these new responsibilities that the agency had, the Bureau of Land Management, and their legal responsibilities. You could sue them if they're not doing it. And so the cattlemen felt that they had lost their priority. You know, they might have, and so that infuriated them. And they, they then, as many of us in America are doing today, they, they fantasized about a previous golden age. Okay. When, when they were in the director's chair and the feds did what they said or didn't mess with them ever. And then that became a fantasy of a golden age, which is like that movie Open Range. Mm-hmm. You just ran your cows wherever you wanted, and then people shot each other. And and in the fantasy, of course, you always win, right? Your Winchester never jams, and your horse never stumbles, and you you gain the access to millions of acres of free desert grassland. Okay, you know, um, I mean, it's funny because there's a there's a legendary cattleman. And in the Rio Grande country, called Preston Nutter, and he was tough as just a tough entrepreneurial capitalist ass kicker. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Preston Nutter was one of the first people in the 1900s to advocate for a, the Taylor Grazing Act and the and and a grazing service mm-hmm. because he just said nobody can control these ranges as they are now. The the, the concept of open range. And manage use and sustainable grass and not having destruction, those things don't exist together. And so he was one of the, like, he, he's a very unlikely advocate for the federal government to control.
0: Interesting. <laughs> be,
1: yeah. Um, but what he was is he was a pragmatist. Right. <laughs> and so what these guys in the Cattlemen's Association, and a lot of them, they're backing off now, by the way. Okay. Especially down in Utah when the state lands, SITLA, which runs the state lands of Utah, and and I would ask our listener to to go back in history and understand why how the Western states got their state lands, right? And those were awarded to them from the federal government on statehood. It was in a township of thirty six sections. You get sixteen and thirty six square those the two square miles, and those were school trust lands. They're still called that, right? And those were used to produce money for the schools so that everybody wouldn't be so stupid (laughs) that they would fall for, for, uh, schemes like transferring federal lands to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what would happen if they transferred these federal lands as in Idaho to the state of Idaho? That's a big, that's a big one there. Okay. Well, everybody would be on the hook. It would be the largest expansion of state government in American history. The people would be on the hook for taxes that they nobody could pay. And then the lands would be pretty much forced to create revenue, and we would basically see another, we would just log them all off, graze them all off, and dig them up until there was nothing left. And then that would be the best case scenario because the other scenario would be simply that the Wilkes brothers who bought 120,000 acres of 128,000 acres in Idaho from the paper company, Mm -hmm. from the timber company, would just buy them. But the cattlemen who are grazing them for a buck 35 AUM now would not be anywhere near there.
0: Gotcha. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it is a it is an extinction. It is like a voluntary extinction movement by anyone in the cattle business who grazes public lands now, who's not already a multimillionaire. Right? They're not going to get them. The, the market is there. I mean, if anybody's been in the West looking like like the Sitla lands, the state lands in Utah, they're being sold for these glamping resorts out in the desert where you do um there's some incredible resorts out there right you can be lifted by a helicopter and do sunrise yoga on top of a butte um it's like three grand a day you know and uh it's cool i mean if if you have three grand a day for you know (laughs) but the the guys living in that house down in you know boulder utah
0: Mm -hmm.
1: aren't gonna be on that helicopter
0: right right
1: and we're not going to be in the cattle business. Yeah. And so I I don't know what people want. I think that people I think that one of the dangers of civilization is that we're protected from the consequences of what we think so much that eventually we kind of come to live in a state of semi delusion. Right. And I think that's what you're seeing here.
0: Well, I think you're absolutely, you're right. And I think that speaks sure. to another uh, question I had for you. And th- this is a tough one because we we could, t- you could talk about this for 12 hours, I'm sure. But um, could you quickly, because I think it does relate. Could you quickly talk about the the Malheur incidents and, and your experience there working on that?
1: Sure. Um, so. What I did, which reduced these essays, which in a way led me to this book, um, was I went over to the Bundy occupation of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. Was it 2016?
0: Sounds about right.
1: Yeah, and um, they uh, they had, well, it's a long story. They the the Hammond family had been convicted of arson on public land on some grazing leases that they owned. And there was kind of a this weird anti eco terrorism law that the Hammond family when they they did they did co- commit the arson
2: mm-hmm. so they
1: were they were convicted of that, but they were sentenced in a way that I consider to be highly unjust um it, and and the Bundy family had gone up there the Bundys being these anti government um latter day saints folks from around Bunkerville, Nevada, yeah uh, Ammon Bundy lives in Idaho. It's, it, they're great basin people, right? Yep. That, like, like they're great basin family and, um, pretty interesting people. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't have, have a lot of animosity towards them. Mm-hmm. They have a very distinctly, uh, uh, belief system, which I find not nutty and dangerous, but I don't find them individually to be, um, particularly they're, they're not what I call bad folks.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Like, like I, I, you know, especially not their dad who lives in one of the hardest places down there outside of Bunkerville uh, and he's, has really prospered there. He's, yeah. he, he illegally grazes public lands,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but uh,
0: And he's still he's doing that, kid. right?
1: Still doing it. Wow. He, and when he kind of broke, he kind of broke uh, away from a lot, a lot of support was lost because he increased his herd after oh, all of this. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, why why wouldn't he? I mean, nobody's telling him he can't.
1: Well, yeah, that's right. And it's, it's sad though, because, um, I, he, he, I wouldn't, and I'm not saying he didn't have legal or moral high ground there, but he, he, in his belief system, he was in the right. Right. But I don't, I think that once you increase the the herd there, you sort of lose that. Yeah. Um, anyway, these guys are anti-federal government uh, activists. Um, with a lot of scripture behind them, you know, from the, from the early days of the Latter-day Saints. And um, so they went to support the Hammonds. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't think I would have be, been, I, I agreed that the Hammonds got a raw deal. Yeah. Um, and so all of a sudden they, they had enormous amount of malicious support from a standoff that they had done with the Bureau of Land Management in Bunkerville, where they rounded up their dad's cows off of the public land where they had no legal right to be. And um, legal in the way you and I will define legal. All right, Uh, Clavin Bundy, Mr. Bundy defines legal in a different way, but we can all define legal in different ways and have an anarchist society in which Clavin would probably get thrown in a pot. Um. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they came to Malheur to Burns, Oregon, and they got all revved up, which is the thing that they do. They get very revved up, like you see these right-wing demonstrations where people get wilder and wilder. Yep. And then they decided to take over the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in a gesture of protest, and they were joined by... Oath Keepers and 3% of Idaho. I I was
0: surprised the the amount of the diversity of group. I mean, they they were all had the uh, the hatred for federal government in common, but the diversity of groups that came together was was astonishing.
1: That was the only thing they had in common. Yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah. And uh, so they occupied the wildlife refuge. I went over there. I spent a couple of days, three days hanging out, talking to people. Um, I met some people there, journalists and and other people that are still friends to this day.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then I came home and I tried to figure out what I had seen because this was clearly a a large group of people who wanted to see the federal public lands, federally managed public lands that belonged to all the American people seized. And they had absolutely no concept what they were going to do with them after they seized them.
0: There's really nothing funny about this. Uh, it, it's just it was, so bizarre.
1: It was kind. Of, it was funny, and the and the piece that I wrote, I tried to give everybody their due, just as a regular person. Mm-hmm. Um, there were people there who I considered incredibly delusional or misguided, who um, I kind of liked. <laughs> you know, you, you're like, you're like, wow, you know, if if we weren't on opposite sides of this thing, we'd probably be building fence. Yeah. No. And, and, but the end result was they were, they just, they didn't care about the history. Yeah. And as you can probably tell, I'm obsessed with history, but I, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't demand that others share that obsession, but I will say that like, if you don't know who built this house and you want to tear out all the walls and then tell everybody that it's your house, you know, and then take the roof off and then complain that it's raining on you. Yeah. I'm going to say you should have done some research on what roofs do.
0: Sure. That, that's, that's a good analogy. I like that.
1: Yeah. You know, like, like you got a roof up there and, it, and the rain goes off like this and, and they're like, we don't believe in roofs, <laughs> you know? And then they're like, going, it's cold. I'm wet.
2: Yeah. you yeah. know, you
1: can't, like, it, it's hard to take them seriously. And I did take them seriously though. And mm-hmm. it's, it. and I tell you what, if somebody wants to be taken seriously, one of the things they can do is point, uh, rifles at you right right and then tell you as they did me your words have just as much weight here as mine you you should you should be happy to debate here by the fire and i said well i ain't got a I'm, I'm i'm the only one that ain't got an ar and then somebody goes well that's your first mistake you, <laughs> you can never go anywhere without your ar oh
0: wow and wow. i said
1: well i don't have a permit in Oregon. Uh, and they, they all pull out these little pocket constitutions. Yeah,
0: that's their permit.
1: That, by the way, are annotated by Cleon Skousen, who was a Latter-day Saint radical in the 80s, 70s. Yeah. And he just put the text apart part of the constitution he didn't like out. Really? And then published them by the thousands, yeah. millions. Anyway, they all get their pocket constitutions. They go, this is the only permit you'll ever need! And yeah. they wave it at you. And after they wave those at you, that the Fiftieth time, man you you pretty much shut up. It's you don't want to have them. You've had all the pocket constitution waving you can handle.
0: I see. Wow. <laughs> yeah. what, what an experience, though. um I
1: love the constitution too, so it made true. it even more difficult for me.
0: Yeah. 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 That that I could <laughs> I can see that being a fascinating yet extremely frustrating experience. Mm-hmm.
1: It was mostly fascinating, and, and it and it kicked me off on this. This book project because I was like, what, "Wouldn't it be great if the people who are actually concerned with this, who are interested, had a place where they could open up a book and get the history, mm-hmm. and then they could decide if they think that the it'd be good to give these lands to the states or sell them to the Chinese?" you know, like, like Smithfield foods was sold to the Chinese. It had, it came with almost half a million acres of prime farmland. Wow. Right. I mean, the global market for these lands would be insatiable. Yeah. So perhaps that's what people want. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's going to put a damper on the old elk hunting trade,
0: man. I I can't fathom it. Um, it's something that I value. I mean, I, 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 I've moved my, my wife and kids away from our families back East. And, and we, we both are, are st- have strong family values. Um, you, you are no nutshell, dude. I, I,
1: I came here in 89. My kids were born here. We traveled back and forth for years while my parents were alive. Mm-hmm. That very what, much what you're talking about. And I did this because I wanted to raise my children in amongst the freedom of the public lands, yeah, rather than the constraints of the, the area that I grew up in, which was also beautiful but was all private and, yeah. and without permission, you weren't going,
2: yeah. And...
1: and we were, you know, we shoot and we hunt and climb and ski. And my son is a packer, a horse mule packer. And I guess, I, I mean, I, I did it like what you're saying, yeah. I did it strictly for my family to enjoy this freedom. Yeah. And then I look at people who go, well, that's no good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: um, and that's okay. If, that, if you don't like that, but I hope they wouldn't take that away from future generations because they, it's something they don't care about.
0: Right. Yeah. It, the thing is, I really, I want to understand it. I want to understand that, that way of thinking or that line of thought. Um, and I'm not even close. I'm going to keep trying. I'll probably never get there. But but I really I'll
1: keep trying. Um, I I'm I think I got it up to a point. And part of it is this, in the biblical sense, it would be the worship of mammon. Okay. Um. There's people who believe that anything that stops, slows economic churn, is a negative. And by that. By that, I mean, I'm going to give you an example. So up here in 1909, this is before the New Deal, the, the feds built Gibson Reservoir. They built Gibson Dam. They had a whole community set up west of my house to do this. And that was an irrigation project. It was very controversial, but it, it brought into to play thousands of acres on this, called the Fairfield Bench, mm-hmm. which is east of me. And that was a federal project without which Fairfield, Montana, did would not exist. Um, and so what could happen there that it's kind of the last bastion of the small holder up there there. It's the barley, malting barley capital of the world. They, they produce for the Inbev group. Okay. They produce bar- barley for beer. And um, it's, it's a lot of relatively small, small holders that are exist because of this irrigation system that was set up by the feds in 1909. Now, if you, those people invariably vote so called conservative or anti federal, even though they wouldn't exist without that irrigation system. That's another thing, you know. However, if you were to look at this in a purely profit making capitalistic model, you could sell the Bob Marshall wilderness, you could sell the Lewis and Clark National Forest, of which the Bob Marshall is a part. Mm-hmm. You could control the headwaters, the north and south forks of the Sun River to Gibson Reservoir. You could then, that's a Bureau of Reclamation project, right, federal? Yeah. So if you can sell BLM lands or Forest Service land you could sell the Bureau of Reclamation lands, why not? It's a private enterprise. Right. You could own that water. You could own that dam. And you could shut the water off. And the I don't know how many 800 farmers on the Fairfield bench would their land would be worthless. Mm-hmm. You could buy that land and then turn the water back on, and you could be the leading supplier of barley to the MBEV group. And you could shoot yourself into space in a rocket probably for a wow. minute.
0: Yeah. That's, okay? that's scary.
1: I mean, I mean, think about the water resources that the Bureau of Reclamation owns the federal government in the West. So, Sixty-two percent of all water in the arid West originates on public land. Mm-hmm. That's why it was set aside in the first place between 1891 and 1920. Okay. That's
0: inter- I didn't know that. I didn't know that part of the history that, that these riparian areas and, and water sources were it, such a driving force. Basins. Okay,
1: catchment basins and and people. Because of a book by George Perkins Marsh back in the 1860s, they had all read George Perkins Marsh, right? Man and Nature, and 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 we also had the experience of the White River, White White Mountains in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and these enormous floods that came down after, including the Monongahela in, in um, Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, these were floods that that came from overlogging and burning, right? And so they the Easterners had a good idea of what might happen out west, and it was happening. So they the public lands were set aside as watershed catchment basins first. Timber reserves that preserve watershed catchment basins for the arid west. Mm-hmm. And you know how much that would be worth?
0: Oh gosh, I can't even. I, I can't even imagine.
1: I can't even imagine it, it. And this is why you talk about these these bills being floated in the legislature every year. Mm-hmm. I think there were thirty seven of these bills floated in like twenty fifteen alone the same year that the, the Republican Party adopted in its platform a specific mention to, to privatize public lands. First time ever. Yeah. So yeah. this is never going to go away, Michael, because the, the asset is so valuable.
0: I see. There's what's What scares me is the divisiveness that, that we're seeing today and how easily people will will take a conspiracy theory and embrace it. If it, if it, if it's, if if it's part of their tribes talking points Um, and now, you know, there's big money, well-organized campaigns like American stewards for Liberty who are organizing and, and putting out false information to, to,
1: American Lands Council as well.
0: Yeah, to to folks that benefit, but will, will, will not benefit at all by their agendas. But it's so easy for them to bring people on board, um, you know, and and just kind of take advantage of of these times that we're living in. Uh, it's terrifying, honestly.
1: It it's terrifying. Living in the United States of America is supposed to be terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, what an unlikely experiment in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, how many revolutions do you know that ever had a, a really positive outcome?
2: Right. Yeah. I
1: mean, I, mean, I think about the Sandinista revolution in, in in Nicaragua. and Now you've got Daniel Ortega, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, you got like this revolution, the French revolution, mm-hmm. which was somewhat successful, I guess, but it was horrible. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, we, we, we had a revolution. And then we, the winners of the revolution, wrote the Constitution to limit their own power. <laughs> I mean, who does that,
0: right? Yeah.
1: And 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 then no sooner had they done that than shit was going awry everywhere. There's Saint Clair's defeat, uh, the, one of the largest military defeats in in our history, was in Ohio, right, where where they sent the army to try to quell the Shawnee. Wow. And they just lost, like it's terrifying here. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's never settled and, and and the the concept of the public lands is always going to be we need to have so here's what I think: the dis sometimes you fall for disinformation
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you you buy a I'm going to use shitload, okay of cannabis coin or ethereum. Right. Okay. You don't get the real Bitcoin. Yeah. You had some bad information. Right. And and your friends called up and they said, unless you invest now in in WUCO, we're going to miss out. You're going to yeah. have FOMO, fear of missing out. You're not going to have any money. And so send me all your money, and you're going to buy Ukalakaduko. And we do, and we lose all our money. Right. And our kids may have to come home from college. Right. Um, We may lose our house as in 2008 when people were so over leveraged. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Bad things can happen. Right. But if somebody comes to you and says, you know, this thing is I think that's disinformation. And let's take a walk up on the Gila National Forest. And let's think about what it is that we really believe irrefutably. Let's do a little trip in the bitter roots. Let's go across BLM lands uh and and look for elk on the Missouri Breaks. And let's see what's irrefutable here. And that this is a positive. Mm-hmm. And that it, should we throw this into flux, we're probably going to cause incredible loss. I think we can get there. I really do. Yeah. I think that I think that that you know they always say you it's very it's impossible to scam an honest man. Mhm. You know, because they're always looking for that easy money or whatever. Right. But in this case, I think I think that we can we can pull the scammers. I think I think we can beat the scammers. And one of the ways we have to beat them is to uh, make sure that the you and me and people that that love these lands and are okay with this experiment in public lands because that's what it is. Okay. That that we make sure that we let people know what is at stake here. And just how good we got it right now. And that is not to say that federal land management is always good.
2: Right. That means
1: that we have a say in it. Mm -hmm. And when those lands are private, you're not going to have a say.
2: say. Yeah.
1: Well, this is it. Here's the representative Democratic Republic. We're participants. Yeah. And we can participate. When that's gone, I mean, it's going to be wild. Yeah. And we are not, it's going to be wild, like losing your money in the Bitcoin trade.
0: Gotcha. Well, with that, Hal, so, you know, there's going to be folks that listen to this podcast that, you know, maybe grew up out here in Arizona and hell, they didn't even realize that all this right. land around us belonged to them. Um, And now, now let's say they're, they're interested. Um, They're seeing the value in this and they're seeing the threats how do how do they get involved how do they advocate
1: well one thing easy is is to be able to speak up against these and I, these are really deep, these bills going to the legislatures mm-hmm. they're pretty, they're ill advised yes they're bad news. Yes. they're they're not thought, they're not well thought out right so you you got you know Randy Newberg is um with own your own adventures sure. and hunt talk
2: and all uh-huh.
1: Randy has this in, is he's great on this subject and anything that you can go with Randy's YouTube video series on this topic. Okay. Right. So inform yourself first. Right. But as Randy Randy has said often, he said that people are getting lost in this national politics that they watch on cable TV. Yeah. And they are voting to own, let's just say, own the libs mm-hmm. up here. But the impact of their vote is right outside their backyard. And so people are going to have to come into a bit more of a microcosm in the, in our participatory democratic republic. Right. And we're going to have to see what this affects us right here at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so for those people I'm talking about in Arizona, you're going to have to look into what you really believe. It, and if you want to invest in the Bitcoin <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: um, or the Ethereum, or do you want to um, say Hold on to your cash and and hedge your bets and and pay your daughter's tuition. I'm speaking of myself.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> and, uh, you've got to you've got to depoliticize your daily what affects you right now. Yeah, you've got to depoliticize this in the in the same way that I might depoliticize buying a pair of boots. You know, um, I like Schnee's and Kinetrex. I don't care what their politics are. Mm-hmm. I need a pair of Kinetrex to go hunting when it's below zero. Right. Um, and so we need to depoliticize this idea. And and we need to depoliticize what affects us directly. Mm-hmm. And that's a tall order. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I is. think
2: we can do it. Sure.
1: And and okay, so one is to um, write in, don't support candidates who who have ill-advised schemes to divest you of your assets.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the other is to engage, here's the next step, is really to engage with public land management and see what people the federal agencies, the BLM, the Forest Service, Bureau of Rec, not so much Bureau of Rec, but sometimes they have a lot of land. Right. Forest service and all what are they doing? And there's public comment periods on all this stuff. And and uh public comment periods in federal policy are kind of like um, I don't know, uh it's a use it or lose it deal. Yeah. You you got to participate. This the whole thing is set up for participation. And so that means you gotta apprise yourself of what's going on, find out what they're doing, and see what you think about it. And if that's your elk hunting drainage and like, like fuels reduction projects on public lands in the West, sure, those could be great. They're very necessary. Those could be conducted badly. Yeah.
0: We've, we've had our stumbling blocks here in Arizona.
1: The four fries project. Yeah. Amazing project. Yeah. Um, one of the most interesting public lands fuels reduction projects ever. Mm-hmm. It has, it's bad and it's good. Yeah. Learn about it. Because it is it is affecting your public lands that you're going to want to hunt on, hike on, that's going to provide your water,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, and Protect I'm fascinated home. by the yeah. project. So, so engage with your local forest service office. Talk to them about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where it's a great place to go pit morels. Are there, is there a, is there a regulation? on? I that? wish do it was, you know was that easy
0: out here. Them? Yeah. I've not picked Why? a morale in Arizona.
1: Gotcha. Well, you're way
0: down in the desert. Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm up in the mountains now. Yeah. So no, but I mean you're way south. Oh, gotcha. No, we do yeah. have them, but I think it's it's a very specific set of circumstances that produce them. We need gotcha. we need a wet spring, you know, we we need burns. Um, and I just haven't had that come together for me yet.
1: Well, here's one of the things in that. Um, can you imagine so here's here's a reason why we were going to keep national public lands is there's a place near you where these spores from these fungi sit around for 150 years mm-hmm. waiting for one thing to happen where they can fruit and then throw some more spores and hang around for another 150 years. Right? Mm-hmm. So, There is these places and you can go and sit in that place. You can go walk up there and sit there and you won't, you won't see them, but all of this life is all around you because it's not in in downtown Phoenix is cool. Downtown Tucson is cool, but you got to have something else to compare it to. Right. Right. You can go sit in this place that is ruled by the time scale of eternity the time scale of spirit, of, of nature, of, 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 of play, the peace that passeth understanding. You can go walk in there and sit in it and soak it up. Yeah. And then you can go back and, and, and be a warrior on the, on the asphalt if you need to.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: But, but these places exist because of incredibly visionary Americans upon whose shoulders we're standing. Mm-hmm and i'll be damned if i'm the one that's going to going to piss on their heads and and ro- let it all go
0: yeah yeah i i'm constantly reminding myself you know that of the the times that we're living in are are not bad times we have so much at our They're fingertips not... uh wildlife oops uh you know wildlife today is is more abundant than it has been in the past hundred years. You know, we do have these public lands, these diverse habitats, these healthy ecosystems that we get to go stomp around in. Um, yep. it's, it's a pretty magical thing. Uh, it's and, a pretty
1: and, magical thing. And you got the boots and the gear to stay out for yeah. you know, weeks, if you want. in in a way that, um, you know, I'm not that much older than you, but even in my time, we didn't have it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: When I first was was climbing, like in the Bitterroots or oh, in yeah. Canada,
0: hell, we just did that. Just one. in my backpacking career, uh, there's been so much change and uh, in development in, in equipment and gear, and of course in hunting as well. But uh, yeah, kind of makes me feel soft though, because there were folks out there, you know, they, they, were. they were staying out there a long time without all this yeah. stuff too. Yeah, but uh,
1: we we tried to climb the east face of the Teton Grand Teton one year. And, um, a buddy of mine and I, and, uh, we booked up there cr- across Teton Glacier, got up under the, what's called the Otterbody Chimneys, the yeah. Otterbody Glacier. You can see it up there. Have you, have you been there?
0: Yeah, yeah I've been there.
1: Yeah. And so the, that's the East Face, right? Mm-hmm. And we were doing that because we were, we were making a run at it because the first ascent was like in 1920 something or 30,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and we were going, well, man, they didn't even have, you know, boots right like this. If they could do it in nineteen thirty, we could sure and we got our butts kicked. Huh. We couldn't even get close. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? But, um
0: How, we, we should we should do a, a part two uh public land podcast, maybe bring somebody else in too and just uh just tell stories. Stories from our public yeah. lands. Um yeah. hell, I, I hiked from Mexico to Canada along the Continental Divide. Where where else yeah. can you do that, you know?
1: So, yeah uh, so that means you came like right south of my house up yeah. across rogers pass yeah
0: yep
1: yeah yeah and then, then that's when you start getting all that grizz and stuff
0: yeah, yeah. for sure yeah I, I finally did see some grizz and glacier and it was a big sow and two cubs and i was above tree line. they fortunately the wind was in my favor and i sat and watched them for a while and it one point, one of those cubs saw me and stood up, and it looked like Cartman with that big old head. And he turned yeah. his head while he's yeah. looking at me, and I'm just like, "Oh god, don't tell your mom." <laughs> but
2: yeah, <laughs> uh, and you know,
0: when you see one in the wild for the first time, it's just it occurs to you that, that there's no reason these things shouldn't eat people. I mean, they're no. they're massive, massive yeah. carnivores, but i uh, maybe I should say I'm uh quite quiet yeah. an experience and then i had i yeah. sat and i watched them so long i had to end up hiking through the dark to get where i was going and that was not fun that was not fun at all yeah.
1: but but it, it there's a there's a place where like we said the great equalizer you know mm-hmm. um there's that place where you just like you're not it, it weather is the same you're not in charge here yeah the decisions you make right now are going to affect whether you're around to enjoy tomorrow
0: right I, and, s- I sleep very well at night knowing those places are still around is as too. few as they think, are.
1: Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the, I would love to do that podcast. Cause uh, I think it'd be fun. I mean, I mean, there's, you know, I just, uh, my, my whole life has been built around this, Michael. I, yeah. I don't exist. If If there's any quid pro quo in what I'm doing now, it's because this, this has made my life. I cannot, I I cannot imagine what I would be like without these adventures, without this life with my kids and my wife
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and my dog and my rifle and and some good horses every once in a while, but mostly on foot, man, mostly done. We've never, we've never had much money as a, as a freelance writer. And I have had a life that, that some of the wealthiest people in the world couldn't, they they couldn't even touch it,
0: man. You know, I feel Probably. that way all the time too. Um, yeah, and you know, compared to other people, yeah, I don't, I don't even come close. But holy hell, have have we I? Do. I've had so many adventures and been to so many places and seen seen so much magnificent wildlife, and and you know, now I, I've got this beautiful family. I, I get to share it all with. Um, yep. It's yeah, I and I live in a magnificent place. I, I just. Yep yeah I, i'm in awe of it every day
1: i i think and i think you're on to something here is um I, I woke up this morning really early and was going on my phone reading the news and my wife has told me long she she's boycotting the news for a while you know
0: mm-hmm. i understand and she just
1: said man it's a distortion you you got to look at what's in front of you
0: yeah she's it's not, not wrong. that
1: you ignore politics that you ignore the the privatization of public lands movement. i'm not saying that yeah I'm saying be grateful for the, the glory of what we got and then do your part in passing it on and, and making sure that it's held it's hold on to it.
2: Yeah.
0: I agree.
1: You know, um, I mean, you're, this is, this is, this is all, this is an awesome venue for me to get to talk with you.
0: Yeah. I've enjoyed it. I
1: mean, um, and I, I'm, uh,
0: I, I'm just going to keep doing
1: what I did, you know, what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. I hope you do. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're influencing people. You're influencing me. So I, yeah. I think it's important well, work.
1: I, well, I used to tell people at Field and Stream they'd be like, and I, I I did forestry as part of my life. My my income every year was at least a third. Mm-hmm. But I, did, I would always say, man, you writing and, and doing this is not that different than roofing a house or whatever. Although if I don't do it, you're not going to get cold and wet. Yeah. So – So people, an electrician is, is doing something. And what I'm doing is out there, I'm reading, I've got like 75 books on this floor that are the reference for this book. Yeah, And I've got this pile of books over here. Not many people want to do that. I don't blame them. (laughs) (laughs) And, but I'm, I'm doing, this is my job. And so when you get done wiring that house and you're interested in this, you can read this. Yeah. And that's what I did. That's my contribution. I'm not I'm not a handyman. I can't wire. I I I wouldn't be able to wire a house. It would burn down. But I can do this research and then I can I can tell you something that I feel is important. And you can say, "Well, it's important to me too. I just don't have time to." Yeah. And I and I go, "Well, this is what I do."
0: That's awesome help. Um, well, yeah. it- Listen, I, I personally I, I want to thank you for doing this work because because it does matter. I mean, uh, you know, like you, I've I've built my life around that. This is all I've ever done. You know, is outdoors and wildlife. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd like to see it stick around for for my kids and, and my grandkids and and all of those in the womb and a ta- womb of time as more important right. than me. people and me have said, but it is important, uh, and I value it. So, and I know I speak for a lot of other folks out there. Um, before we wrap this up though, I, I want folks to know that they can, they can find you on the Backcountry hunters and anglers podcast and blast that you host. Yep. And yeah, you, you just got a, a snippet here today of what's floating around in Hal's head. Um, and, uh, uh, I'm sure, the I'm the sure Desina folks internet, are already Desina impressed, but um, no, it's an excellent podcast and and you have some of the most fascinating guests on. Um, and I think it goes above and beyond a lot of the other outdoor and conservation podcasts out there just because, well, one, you're a great host and two, the quality of guests you get are just phenomenal. So
1: well, I appreciate that. I I would also, I'd refer people that I would love it if more people would were, were take advantage of like the back, the back catalog and that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was referring to somebody the other day, uh, a guy named Lamar Marshall, who was ran wild Alabama. It was like a conservation, a public lands advocacy group in Alabama years ago. And Lamar is one of the most fascinating people I've ever known. You know, that podcast is way back. It's like three years ago.
2: Um,
1: but, and, and then that, the movie public trust that Patagonia, you know, that was a good um, one. There's a lot of basic public lands information in that movie.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And so that I would refer people to that too. That and there must be somebody interested in it. It has like two point seven million views. Yeah. Um, but it a lot of those were international. And a lot of the comments were, you know, I wish we had fought we had had something like this to fight for when I was a kid or
0: Yeah. yeah. Actually
1: kind of kind of sad. Right. right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd also like to remind people to get out there and support these organizations that are on the front lines of these fights, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers, public lands is their foundation. That's what they do. Yep. Um, National Wildlife Federation, uh, here in Arizona, we are, are having these fights. So, so please get in there and support us, um, and follow along. Cause yeah, we're, we're, we're fighting these battles right here in Arizona every season.
1: I would say the, the beauty too, like, uh, Wildlife Federation of Arizona, Wildlife Federation, mm-hmm. um Montana Wildlife Federation. Again, where um, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has chapters all across the yep. United States. In India, Indiana, in like you know, in New York, in Alabama, um at Florida. I mean, this is again. I'm talking about depoliticizing things and localizing them so that you can have an effect. Right. And this is. I'm so glad you said that because I was. I was. Uh, that that was a ball drop on my part this is we're talking about localizing and you have you have access to backcountry hunters and anglers chapters Mm -hmm. uh wildlife federation state chapters yep i mean i mean as a journalist those are the those like nevada wildlife federation arizona those are people i went to first because those are the people who have the local knowledge and that's that's localizing this thing and depoliticizing it. And then you'll find that we can see much more clearly with, with people right. who know things and who are local to us.
0: Yeah. And man, I got to tell, we got to wrap this up at some point. I could just I go on and on and on. But I got to say that, that you when you mentioned depoliticizing, that is something that I take a great deal of pride in with the Arizona Wildlife Federation. We We do not play partisan politics you know we we yeah. firmly believe that conservation is not a partisan issue and we we ride that How fine line um and it's not always easy but but we do we take it very seriously so well
1: i mean we're gonna have to get away from extremism yeah on right or left i mean i mean the world that the the natural world that supports everything that we do our every endeavor you don't got water you ain't doing nothing mm-hmm. you don't have six inches of topsoil you're not eating i don't care what you eat Yep. You know, so those things are not political. Right. The management of those things can be political, but we better push that away if we can. Right. Right. I agree. Um I just think I just I just think that people are in, indulging in the luxury of extremism and and it's just like any other self-indulgence of somebody sitting around drinking whiskey uh, all day or eating it... bonbons and 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 can't walk to the Walmart. It's repulsive. Mhm indulging in extremism while the while while honest good things go lacking yep that's repulsive I, i'm i'm so sick of it <laughs> i almost <laughs> fell out of my chair <laughs> but i'm so i'm so tired of it oh it's how just like, yeah. we don't have to be that way right we We better than that. It's just so simple these days, though.
0: It's so simple for people to, to, you know, snuggle into their corner and and just shout, you know, and it's so much easy, so easy with social media and Internet for them to fuel their own fires, you know, and, and. In the, hell, they don't even have to try, you know. With the way these things work, the uh, algorithms feed them what they want.
2: Yeah,
1: that's right. Uh, it's just a I know that from but... Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, but, but, you know, like, I, and some people don't like Jordan Peterson, but I, I love his stuff. Yeah. you know, it's like he's one of the. It's like if it's easy, that probably ain't gonna be serving you,
0: right? Yeah,
1: you know, yeah. like easy is for after work. After you got your, your, after you sweated and, and, and got the kids to bed, you know, yeah, that's when easy comes and easy, easy ought to, ought to end the next morning when you get up and, and put your shoulder the damn wheel. Hey, that,
0: like, that's, like, that's good advice. Um,
1: it ain't mine, but <laughs> I, I, I believe
0: it. Yeah, no, that, that's good yeah. advice. And I, I'm looking, I'm well, looking easy. for a, a good high point to, to end this on. So I'm going to grab a hold of that one and use it.
2: Okay. Um, yeah. but
0: uh i I always enjoy talking with you um you're you're a very inspirational figure to me um but yeah let's do this again let's tell some stories and just make it a fun one okay and uh yeah i'll be in touch so i want to thank you for your time here today and i'll uh, i'll throw a link up to your podcast i'll throw a link up to backcountry hunters and anglers and some other orgs so people can find that stuff and and get involved well thanks michael i'll see you man take care buddy Well, I, I'm, I'm not even going to say I hope you enjoyed that. I know you enjoyed that because Hal Herring, he's, he's just a, he's a, a hoot to listen to. And now that you are all revved up and inspired about your public lands, I want you to get out there and enjoy them. Uh, it's summertime. Go paddle a river. Um, get up in the mountains. Do some hiking. Remember, no campfires right now up in our, our high country. But, uh, yeah, it's the, the opportunities here in Arizona are absolutely limitless. Um, you know moving out here from from the Midwest uh, I was blown away um, that we have all of this and it belongs to all of us and we can basically do what we want on it as long as we're not tearing it up and you know following a few simple rules you know I sometimes I think folks that have grown up here in Arizona or in other other states out here that, that have have ample public lands are are a little bit spoiled and I don't think they really understand just how valuable this is and, and uh, you know how rare of a thing it is to have this at your fingertips and You know, it's why I'm here. It's it's why I'm raising my family in Arizona. So I want you guys to get out there and enjoy it as much as I do. So get out there. Um, And in the meantime, until we're back in two weeks from now, uh, I want you guys to reach out to me at podcast at azwildlife.org and give me your thoughts and suggestions. I've gotten some really good suggestions from all of you for podcasts, uh, ideas and guests. And I'm telling you, they're valuable to me because, you know, I'm like anybody else. I'm into what I'm into and I need folks to help me get out of that box and get some some different shows on here. So please don't hesitate to reach out. As always, ratings and reviews on whatever platform you're listening to are very helpful to us. So I would appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks. Bye.